Right. And you have no idea what's going on with them. No, exactly. So my focus was on the children. How are they doing? What are they thinking? Do they still think about me? Do they love me? You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 215 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Y'all, this is a good one, but a long one. So I told David that we did not need him today to do the beginning and ending or the intro and outro because I didn't want to add a lot of time to it. So anyway, our guest today is David Schubert. He has a book about parental alienation, and I want you to hear his story. It's very important for those experiencing parental alienation. So let's just get to it. Today, we have David Schubert. Hey, David, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, And yourself? Doing well. Well, that's good. Well, thank you for having me on the show today. Well, thanks for being a guest. We really appreciate it. And you are going to share with us your experience with parental alienation. Right, right. You know, the with a lot of folks that are probably listening in on this, they're all going through different stages of alienation. Because as we know, you can it could be coming in moderate or extreme or mild or whatever. In my case, it happened to be on the extreme end of things, and it made it even more powerful in that nature uh, because back in 2007, my uh, daughter and my stepson were actually abducted by the mother here in Colorado and taken to a country overseas. And when she did that, uh, basically not just were the children removed from my life and me from theirs, but she began a campaign of actual alienation which makes it even uh, more unbearable to go through this kind of a situation. You know, I mean, you don't have uh, the children with you physically, but then you don't even get a chance to talk to them on the phone or through Zoom or whatever. Right. You know, so now with my situation, it began back in 2007. Uh, Like I mentioned, uh, my wife at the time had abducted the children and I thought, at the time that it had to have been my fault and um it took about three or four months after kicking myself uh up and down the street going what did i do wrong was i that terrible of a person that this uh deserved this kind of uh treatment Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it turned out that in after about three or four months of getting collection calls four and five times a day every single day i happened to uh, go, what's going on here? Because they were even calling my family up in Montana. Oh, wow. You know, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I pulled up her credit report. Turns out that she didn't leave because of me. She did it because she was $63,000 in debt that I knew nothing about, and she wasn't about to pay it back. Wow. Now, I kept trying to, uh, we did have communication via email in the beginning. I kept trying to ask her, you know, let me be in the kid's life. Uh, what are we going to do to fix this problem? And she would baseball back and forth. And like you say, we know the reason that she left it was because of money. Well, in the beginning, uh, it was also the type of an email that I got from her saying, give me $7,000 and buy me a car or 
I will get the children to forget who you are and uh, cut off all contact with you if you don't comply with these uh, wishes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I was really that uh, naive or stupid. You know, I got a big red S on my forehead. Yeah. No, I didn't pay it to her. But within a week, I had divorce papers being drawn up uh, because uh, it was bad enough, the alienation and abduction. But when she... uh, tried to extort that money out of me and uh, as far as trying to be in the children's lives that was the straw you know because i knew the, the the situation was irreparable now i was trying to figure out how do i get my kids back and because i'd never even heard the term parental alienation or parental abduction before i didn't know what it meant right i didn't know the resources out there to help me bring the children back and it took me about four months before i learned of this and how old was your daughter at the time? Two and a half years old. Oh, gosh. Okay. And my stepson was uh, eight years old. Oh. But through the assistance of the uh, U.S. Department of State, they have a division called the Office of Children's Issue. We were able to get an application lodged with the International Hague Convention course, which in this division, they work uh, instead of criminal crimes against these uh, uh, people in war-torn countries and stuff. Mm-hmm. They actually, this division works with uh, bringing children back who've been abducted uh, parentally back to their home country, where they the courts there can decide who the children are going to be with. Right. Okay, so we got that lodged. It took 13 months, uh, uh, you know, of them winding their way through the courts. But right after that, I had gotten the order of return, but she had uh, filed an appeal on that. That took another five months. So all total, it was 16 months that the children were out of my life Mm -hmm. uh, and me out of theirs. But they did have to come back. And here's the kicker. When uh, when her appeal was denied, she um, got a hold of the human services over there where she's at and says, I'm not going back. And if you make me, I'm going to kill myself and both of my children. Oh, gosh. Now, the judge heard all this stuff when we when they did find, but they told her, uh, let me kind of back up. They told her, they says, if you don't bring the children back as ordered, we're going to put you in jail. We're going to have the father come over here, pick the children up and return back uh, to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, she did wind up complying. The judge heard all this stuff from the abduction to the uh, prospect of extortion, uh, you know, uh, heard about her threat to kill uh, herself and the children, heard about how she had uh, denied me any kind of contact with the children. You know what? It'd been two years uh, uh, since the children had been uh, missing uh, overseas. The judge goes, well, you know, it concerns me about this, but it concerns me about that, however, and then his final words were, but the children have been gone for the last two years. And because of that, it's in their best interest to remain with the mother and allow her to return back to the country of where she was just ordered from. What? Yep. The attorneys at the Hague Convention, the, uh, the U.S. Department of State, um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, when they heard about this, they could not believe what they were being told because they'd never heard of any judge ever ruling in such of an erroneous manner when they had all that evidence against the other parent. Right. You know, I mean, it was totally crazy. And she's obviously unstable. Well, do you think? 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, let's face it, these alienators, most of them, I mean, there's three reasons why they uh, become alienators. And obviously, it's not through choice. The first one I always uh, make comment about is that there's a very good possibility they have underlying mental health issues, which could be narcissism, borderline personality, bipolar, a few others uh, that, you know, I'm not going to get into. It's a matter of diagnosing which ones they have, which could be one or several of them. Now, the next thing that you could look at is that it's not even an underlying mental health issue. It could be a personality defect where they have a sense of self-entitlement, where they feel they can do whatever they want to whoever, whenever, and wherever they want without repudiation. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a third possibility because children who grow up in an alienated environment and it uh, goes on extensively and for years at a time, they come to the belief that this kind of uh, behavior is accepted and normal. And when that happens, they actually will bring those same lessons into their own future families. So the alienator may have actually, without having an underlying mental health issue, without having uh, these uh, uh, personality defects, it could be that they were raised in that environment and they're taught it uh, from when they're children. Right. Yeah. With her, I don't know. I, I do believe that she's bipolar because uh, I know my daughter is. I found that out, you know, just uh, in the last year. And it is a hereditary, mainly a hereditary condition. And I've always suspected mother of being bipolar as well. Right. You know, so, you know, you don't know where to go. But, you know, at any rate, the, after the court hearing and stuff, I knew that uh, the judge was wrong. Uh, everyone else knew the judge was wrong, but he uh, says, well, you know what? I trust the mother is going to obey my orders for visitation, be it on phone calls through Zoom or Skype or whatever. I'm going to trust that if you make it over uh, to this other country, that she's going to obey uh, my orders and allow you to visit. I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, guess what? I knew that wasn't going to happen, and it didn't. I was completely cut off because as soon as she got off the plane, I can only envision this in my mind. She turned around, faced the direction of the United States of America. And flipped it off. Probably put her finger up in the air, her middle finger up in the air as high as she could and says, hey, you know what? I'm not a citizen of the U.S. I don't live there. I live here and you can't do nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? They did nothing to her. Yeah. So the judge that where you had this hearing where the judge said they've been with the mom for two years, it's best for them just to stay with the mom. He was in the States. Yeah, he was here in Colorado. Oh, gosh. Okay. You know, and um, I remember later on, I did have another attorney and I, I says, hey, Jeff, do you know this attorney? Because he'd been practicing uh, in front of the same courts for a number of years. He says, yeah, I, I know who this judge is. And I says, and I explained to him what the, the first uh, case, ha- what happened in that first uh, hearing. And he says, yeah, that sounds about like this judge. You can never figure him out. Now, my attorney, uh, he's a very competent, very expensive attorney. And he's been in front of these judges a lot. He says, I've been in front of this judge uh, so many times uh, when I thought I was going to win the case hands down, 
the judge ruled against me. But there were other cases that I knew in my heart that I was going to lose, and he ruled in my favor. Oh, my goodness. Said, you just can't figure out uh, what this uh, judge is going to do. Right. Now, did you have the opportunity to appeal that? Yeah, I did. Okay. First thing I did, uh, instead of going to that stage, uh, I put in for a motion of reconsideration. Well, by then, they were already gone out of the country. But it was just going through the motions. I put in the motion for reconsideration. Guess who's the person who makes that decision? The judge. Exactly. The same judge who ruled against me. <laughs> like, gee, um, how does that work? You know, he's not about to admit he screwed up. Right. You know, he or she. You know, so I could have went ahead and spent the money, you know, the 5000 or $10,000 it would have taken to get an appeal going. And it would have taken upwards of a year. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably would have been successful once they uh, saw all the evidence and learned how the judge had ruled. But the problem was, again, they weren't here in the U.S. If she's not going to obey this judge's orders and she had uh, tried to disobey the uh, orders of the international courts, what good was, you know, an appeal order going to do? She still wasn't going to obey it. Right. So what I did, you know, I six months had passed after that ruling, no contact with the children. I went ahead and uh, got a hold of Safe Streets, Colorado, and I was met by a detective from the district attorney's office who was assigned to them. And I was also met by an FBI agent. And I explained to him the whole situation. The FBI had declined to take uh, jurisdiction of the matter simply because of the fact <laughs> It wasn't an international or any type of kidnapping of the children. So they allowed the state to work it. Right, because y'all were married at the time. Well, no, this uh, this uh, this is after we were divorced. That she took them? Uh, we had, well, we were married at the time of the abduction. Right. But uh, at the time of the court hearing uh, to decide who the children were going to be with, by then we were divorced. Right. Okay, so anyways, the state decides, okay, she's not obeying the court orders to bring the children back to the U.S. We we're going to file criminal charges against her. So they filed a state felony, an F-5 state felony, which is the lowest uh, on the totem pole when it comes to felonies. And he says, we're going to go ahead and uh, get a red notice filed against her. And, uh, you know, we'll have her arrested. Uh, you'll go get the kids. Everything will be hunky-dory. Mm -hmm. A couple months had passed. I think about three or four months had passed after that. And then I was calling and calling, saying, hey, what's happening here? And finally, and I remember it was strange because I got a call, and it was a Saturday morning of all days. Mm -hmm. I got a call from the deputy, the assistant district attorney saying, well, we're not going to pursue this uh, matter as far as the red notice. I said, why not? He said, well, the Charges are still going to stick, but, you know, uh, trying to get that red notice in place basically is saying it's going to cost uh, more money to get her extradited back here than what uh, she'd receive if she was convicted of the crime. So they basically let her get away with it. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, and skip ahead, you know, after going, uh, they did modification hearing, child support was ordered on me, or I mean, uh, to be given to me because of the modification of parental responsibilities that took place. You know, because after the four contempt hearings, what had happened was 
And they did order me to have sole custody of the kids, and the, the, the mother was uh, ordered to bring back. Modification of child support was made as well. Well, they uh, over in this other country decided, well, we need to investigate it. She's got the actual care of the kids, but he's got the court order saying she's supposed to return it. Right. Took three years of investigation on their uh, behalf. They decided, okay, no, she needs to start paying. Well, when she did uh, have to start paying, she didn't like it. Pissed her off. Right. She goes to the courts in her the country where she's at and saying, well, you know, I've got the kids and uh, I shouldn't have to pay child support. And so I, at that time, I was living in Panama, Central America. Uh-huh. Okay. And I get notice of this uh, in my email box. And so I have to attend this uh, hearing regarding this matter. And I did it over the phone. And I told the judge, I said, look, you know, you guys don't have jurisdiction of this matter over me or even the children. It was decided in the courts of Colorado that they have jurisdiction. And they did make their uh, ruling in this matter. And, um, you know, the mother was ordered to bring the children back. And you know what the judge says? She says, I don't care. I'm taking jurisdiction and you can't do that legally. But she says, I don't care about that jurisdiction. The fact is the mother has the children, even though you have valid U.S. court orders, she still is retaining the children. And so I'm not going to make her pay. I said, the only reason she's retaining them is that she's doing it illegally. Right. You know, and um, so they cut off the uh, child support thing because that was my thing is that, Okay, she's going to get tired of paying this child support. She has to come back to Colorado and she to fight it, you know. And at that time, they'll go ahead and put them silver bracelets on her, and I'll get the kids and problem solved. This right. judge just put me back to square one again. So what I do after I get back to the U.S., I was down there in 2015 and 2016. I get back and I'm tired of this mess and. So what I did was I contacted several politicians here trying to see if they could help me. No response from any of them. Like, ah. wait a second, we vote you into office to watch out over us and protect us and uh, put in legislation that's going to help uh, you know, as, uh, as a resident of the state. And uh, they didn't want to do it. They basically ignored my thing. So you know what I do? Call the news. And when no news won't even pick up on these stories. Okay. <laughs> you know, they really won't because um, it's not media worthy unless it's, you know, um, one of those kind of things. If uh, you were famous and your kid was abducted by the other parent, uh, then it's newsworthy. But right. for Joe Blow average individual, it ain't happening. Mm-hmm. But I was desperate and I I couldn't think of any other way to uh, get some uh, resolution to this problem. You know who I wrote my next letter to? The president. I did. Good for you. I wrote to President Trump. Now, obviously, each president gets about between five and 10,000 uh, pieces of correspondence uh, per week. Mm-hmm. And they have to have a full-time staff to sort through them. And I'd forgotten all about uh, this letter. And about four months later, I got something back from the White House. And I didn't pay too much I just threw it in the corner of my desk with all the other junk mail and figured I'll look at it later. 
about two weeks later, I did the look at it. Like, wait a second, that's from the White House. I better open it. Yeah. Turned out now it wasn't signed by Trump uh, himself, but it was a uh, you know it was one of rubber signature stamps. Mm-hmm. But it says thank you, laws. You know the total uh, normal garbage. What they had done, uh, one of their staff members had contacted the FBI out there in um, Los Angeles, who handles the field office for international abductions and things like this, and originally handled my case as well uh, from a number of years previously. They, in turn, had gotten hold of the district attorney's office here in Colorado, and I get a call from them saying, hey, we've decided to upgrade the uh, charge from an F5 uh, felony to an F4. Now we have a better chance of getting the red notice go filed and getting this uh, happening. Mm-hmm. Guess what? After that phone call, I haven't heard a word from them. They won't uh, take my calls. They won't return my messages or emails. Nothing. So from 2017 till now, nothing. So they're denying me uh, a victim of a crime, the right to uh, have wow. justice and and resolution in my case. I just, I don't, I don't understand. You know, Even the president or the White House got involved, and nothing was done. Well, they did what they were supposed to. The FBI did what they were supposed to, and I thought that uh, you know that there was going to be pressure put on the DA's office, but. I think what they thought was, well, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, the longer we ignore it, uh, the more time will pass and people will forget about it. I haven't forgotten about it. fact is, I though I couldn't mention names and exact DA's office, I did write about it in my book. The book, it's a memoir I wrote uh, recently. It's called Stolen Memories. I like the name of that. Well, you know, it's the funny part about that is that after I wrote it and it was published, I happened to get on Amazon. And guess what? There was already a book or two named uh, called uh, Stolen Memories and a couple of more that were had similar titles. So anytime someone searches for my particular book, they'll have to um, put my name in it, David R. Schubert, Stolen Memories, and look for the guy with the white hat, the white cowboy hat. Uh-huh. You know, so they get the right one. But, you know, I mean, you know, with that book there, I mean, very few times do alienated or left behind parents actually put their story in writing and publish it for the world to see. Right. And unfortunately, um, I understand why they don't. I mean, number one, it's an embarrassing situation for them to think that they're being alienated from their children or their spouse that abducted them to a another jurisdiction, be it nationally or internationally. Mm-hmm. They don't want people thinking that it was their fault. There was something was wrong with them. You know, it's embarrassing for them. And right. it's, there's no reason to feel embarrassment because you can't help the kind of person that uh, uh, tricked you into being with them. Right. And so they have nothing to be embarrassed by. Um, you know, so they tried, but in the process, they wind up hiding uh, from anything that, you know, even remotely shows that they're an alienated parent or a left behind one. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't want that. And I understand. Right. Well, okay. Let's talk about your stepson for a minute. Mm-hmm. Was his biological father in the picture at all? 
No, his biological father died before he was born. And um, I raised him in my home from the age of just before he was two years old until he was uh, uh, eight and a half years old. So when we went to court um, that first time, you know, with that judge who obviously had been uh, drinking the wrong water or taking drugs or whatever, it was kind of uh, ironic how he did this, you know, because he thought he knew more in those two hours than what these uh, uh, international court judges knew in you what uh, uh, sixteen months. Mm -hmm. But he names me psychological parent of my stepson. Okay, and I'm like, great, that's a victory. And uh, but he says, but you can't have. Him. I'm not giving you either of the children. I'm letting the mom keep them. I'm letting them go back to this other country. So psychological parent in this case, that meant nothing. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, she's uh, in his ruling. I blame this first judge just as much as I do uh, the abductor and alienator for what's happened to my children and me, mm -hmm. you know, because the family courts are just as complicit in their rulings as what the actual offender is because they sweep aside evidence. They won't admit into, uh, evidence into the hearing, all these other things. And they make some of the most asinine rulings that are actually hurting the children. Right. You know, and if you look at what happens to our children through this entire process, you know, the alienation. Because as you know, as well as I do, you know, it messes them up. They're trying to figure out what's going on. So it confuses them. You know, they might start out off with temper tantrums that you can't figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Then it might go into, um, you know, a type of a deal where they reject authority of figures, you know, which could be a parent. It could be a teacher. It could be law enforcement. It could be whatever position of authority there is. But then you've got earlier than uh, normal sexual experimentation, possibility of drugs and alcohol. Maybe uh, uh, they wind up in a uh, juvenile hall or eventually prison because they come from a broken home with only one parent. Right. Guide them, you know, but they're the thing side of it. They have, they develop trust issues with who they can believe and who they can trust. Mm -hmm. And the bad part is, that aspect they uh, carry on into their own future families with their future relationships. The yeah. other part of it is that if it goes on for an extended amount of time, what happens is that these children are indoctrinated in such a manner, this brainwashing becomes second nature to them, and they believe it's normal, they believe it's accepted, and they also will uh, very much will uh, carry it on into their own per, uh, future families. So therefore, the cycle never breaks. Right. Yeah. So did your ex, okay, y'all were together about six years, you said? Is that right? Right. Okay. Right. Actually, it's uh, actually, that's uh, funny you should bring that up because we started living together in the month of June. Mm -hmm. She started, uh, uh, she abducted the children in the month of June. And then she was brought back to the U.S. in the court hearing that uh, allowed her to keep the children happened in the month of June. So needless to say, I hate the month of June. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. 
Yeah, we're just going to change that month to a different name for you. I know that's right. Yeah. So she leaves. Does she have any family in the States or? Not to my knowledge. Um, I think she had an uncle uh, uh, in California. And the country she fled to, she had family there? No, she's actually uh, from another country. What? Um, now, now, she was a citizen of the country that uh, she went back to. She had gotten out through her first marriage, but she actually had uh, moved over there from another country. Wow. Yeah, quite the globetrotter, huh? Yeah, quite the globetrotter. So it's been 15, 16 years since you saw your stepson and your daughter? Well, my stepson, um, I haven't seen him, but just a short amount of time in that week and a half that they were made to be brought back in 2009. Before that, it was 2007. But since then, no, I have not seen him. However, my daughter, when I was living in Panama uh, in 2016, after that judge uh, ruled that I didn't, that she wasn't going to make my ex-wife pay child support anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just say it stoked the fire in me and it pissed me off. <laughs> and like, you know what? This is wrong. You know, I can't seem to get the DA's attorney, the D district attorney's office to get her back uh, to face charges. I can't get the the uh, courts in this other country to uphold the rulings of the U.S. courts. I can't uh, seem to get anything done. And, and so I started on Facebook. I had a friend of mine who set me up with Facebook, taught me a little bit about it. And I started writing these reflection articles about this stuff. You know, um, uh -huh. so I can thank uh, the ex-wife and all these judges for creating the man I am today. Because if they'd have just did their jobs, I wouldn't even be talking to you on the radio today. That's right. You know, neither would anyone else. So it's, it's these other people's fault. They created who we are, mm -hmm. you know, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I'm happy with the way, who I am now, but as far as my daughter, um, the reason I would bring this up about uh, posting on social media with these reflection articles, it had the, the number of reasons I was doing it. Number one, I wanted to uh, create a certain amount of awareness Mm -hmm. that these things do happen and what we go through as alienated parents. But I wanted to show solidarity and support for alienated parents. But also it was a way to leave cookie crumbs for my children because I knew that uh, social media, especially Facebook, was a very popular face for, uh, place for these kids to go online. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of years ago, my daughter became curious about about me after being made forget who I was and actually uh, got onto Facebook and she found me. And wow. she uh, uh, private messaged me and says, David, I think I may be your daughter. Well, it went into kind of a spam box there at Facebook. And so it went in there and a couple of weeks uh, after uh, she'd written, you know, I happened to uh, come across it and I was like, gee, that's odd. You know, because let's face it, we get all kinds of uh, these uh, trolls uh, uh, putting private messages out to us. Right. And right. they just want to cause chaos. They want to go ahead and cause pain and misery or confusion or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I got one of them. How'd they find out my daughter's name? Right. So I went ahead and 
responded back and I said, okay, if you really are my daughter, I'm going to ask you a series of questions that only she would have the answers to. If you can answer them, then I know you're my daughter. Mm -hmm. Well, I sent her the, the list of questions, or I forget, I think four or five questions. And she answered every one of them correct. My daughter did find me because of those breadcrumbs I was telling you about. Yeah. And she did uh, finally, uh, last a year ago, February, did ask if I would be willing to, you know, because at that time she was 17 years old and I did have sole custody of her. But she says, can you uh, make arrangements for me to come back to the United States? And it's like, gee, when when are you going to be on the plane? You should have been here yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I wrote up a letter so that it would help her in case she was ever stopped at any of the airports uh, that were connecting her. I got her the plane ticket and uh, she came back and she was here the first of uh, last March. Is she still there? Well, she's now aged out. Uh, so she's uh, she wants to spread her wings. So she's uh, she's here in the U.S., but she lives in another city. OK. You know, but do, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you all talk a lot? still no. or no there's a uh, you have to understand um when these children go through years of alienation we know the alienator is gonna lie they're gonna manipulate they're gonna go ahead and you know uh, uh implant false memories of things that never happened i don't know what happened but i think she kind of blames me for certain things and i was because i've been doing this so many years I was under no misconception that this was not when she comes back, that it wasn't going to be like it was when she was two and a half years old, that right. she's going to run into my arms and thing the, the last several years are going to be forgotten and we're going to pick up where we left off. That what that doesn't happen. You know, we don't live in a world of blue sky, sunshine and unicorns flying around us. Right. I knew there were going to be problems because they've been, decimated uh, many times mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and in uh, some instances with some families, even physically, you know, uh, but the brainwashing, uh, they have to be deprogrammed and they have to learn that they can trust you, you know, things like that. And uh, so it's a, it's a difficult road and it's not an overnight fix, but you have to be there for them, let you know, and not place any demands or time frames on them. Let them kind of figure things out. Just remind them that, hey, I'm your dad or I'm your mom. I'm going to always be here for you and I will always love you. Right. So how long did she stay with you? She left last summer. Okay. So about a year? Not even a year. You know, uh, we had her enrolled in the high school here, but she decided she uh, wanted to spread her wings earlier. And, you know, I I'm, I couldn't force her to stay. She had some friends that she'd made up in uh, Denver. And, um, you know, I mean, I could have forced her to stay. But the second I go to uh, close my eyes at night, she'd be out the door. She's going to do whatever she wants anyway. Right. When she came back, were y'all able to talk about some of the stuff that had happened to maybe no. answer questions? No? Nope. Uh, she's very guarded about her life uh, growing up uh, and with her uh, mom. The only thing I know about uh, the situation is that one time in a counseling session, 
she mentioned how controlling her mom was. Well, gee, I already knew that. I knew about her mom's control issues. I knew about her anger issues. I knew about her mood swings, you know, because I dealt with it for six years. And I knew how extreme in nature they were, how volatile she could become. And this is what a judge in his ruling subjected, allowed my children to be subjected to, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I don't understand these judges. Uh, if it would happen to their children, they'd be madder than a wet hen. Yeah, I know. It just, it all just boggles my mind. And anybody that's listened to our podcast before knows that even from the winning side of the family court system, it has issues. Mm-hmm. It needs mm-hmm. to be revamped. What happened to you should have never happened. Should never happen to any parent. Right. And the fact that yours was out of the country does make it more difficult, but you had the help that you needed to do this, but the judge was wacko. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, I could have stopped this all, uh, you know, back in 2007, but I didn't. And I'm explaining to you the reason why. My stepson, I'd, uh, as I mentioned to you, I'd raised him from just before two years old until just before he turned nine. He was eight and a half. And I loved him just like he was my own flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And I knew that uh, if I went ahead and pressed charges for international parental kidnapping against my wife at the time, here's what would have happened. They would have arrested her. They would have had her brought back. I would have been able to go get my daughter. But the kicker of this was I was not at that time named by the court psychological father to my stepson. That meant I would have had to have left him behind. Right. He wouldn't have had me. He wouldn't have had his sister. He wouldn't have had his mom. He would have been basically a ward of the state. And I I couldn't do that to him. I loved him too much. Yeah. You know, so because of that reason, I decided to fight it civilly through the Hague Convention once I learned of them. Right. And honestly, I do remember the Hague Convention vaguely from school. Uh-huh. But, uh, of course, dealing with people with parental alienation, I've learned more about it. There are certain countries that do not participate, or whatever you call it, as members of the Hague Convention. So if you were going to kidnap your child, that's where you would go. Correct. And and you have no help. There's no way you're getting those kids back. Right. Right. With the, because a lot of people, when they uh, hear about the Hague Convention, they automatically assume it's a tribunal uh, used to charge and prosecute war criminals. Right. Or sex trafficking. I've heard a lot about people think it's about sex trafficking. Right. If it's international in nature. Right. Now, what they, a lot of folks don't seem to understand is that, and I was the same way, is that the Hague Convention actually has an arm of their body that actually uh, is dedicated towards helping to bring friendly abducted children back to their uh, original country of domicile. That way there, the home country uh, courts can decide 
who the children are going to live with. Right. Now, here's the thing about my situation that I felt also was wrong. Okay, well, the judge could have ruled in the manner that he did uh, as far as allowing her to keep the children, but he should have said, okay, I'm going to allow you to keep the children with you. However, you're not, you're going to have to do it here. If you want the kids, you're going to have to uh, return back to the United States and live physically in the area that is prescribed. Right. He didn't do that. Yeah. He just let them go. Exactly. You know, uh, but, you know, for those that um, are going through this, the aspect, because anytime there's alienation going on, I'm going to kind of explain to you for uh, parents that don't understand alienation. Now, we know that it's a a way for a a spouse, uh, if they're contemplating something like this, to turn the children or even get them to later on forget the other parent or hate them in general. And it actually uh, begins in the home while the two parents are together. This is where people have to take off those rose-colored glasses and see what's happening because alienation starts with the other parent where they will actually begin to create uh, and escalate arguments and fighting in front of the children. They will call the other parent names so in front of the children. So they start to, um, you know, get used to this is what your mother or this is what your father is. And they will talk belittle you. They will talk behind your back to the children. That's mm-hmm. the beginning stages. The other, uh, after the separation and divorce, that's when it really kicks into high gear because of manipulation, gatekeeping, as far as finding excuses why the other parent can't see the children. Oh, they're sick or they've got a function at school or whatever. And they try to manipulate the children to try to withhold the love, you know, things like that. But as an alienated parent, what they also have to recognize when a parent gets to that point, there is always the possibility that that parent who's in, uh, initiating these actions can abduct your child, especially if they feel that, that through the courts that they could lose control of them, lose custody of the child. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I've never came across before is a video like I had uh, recently put out on my YouTube channel. And it's for left behind parents who've had their children abducted by the other parent. Uh, it explains a little bit about my situation, but at the same time, it goes into if you suspect your child is about to be abducted parentally, you have options before, during, and after. And I label them out of uh, what you need to do protect yourself to ensure that you're going to get your children back. And what's your YouTube name? It's called a parenting affair. A and then the word parenting affair, a parenting affair.com. Okay. And if they click on the logo, which is the logo we have for our blog site, but if they click on that, that'll have all the videos, which have only got about four or five of them in there so far because we just started. But the one they want to click on for this particular topic is options for a left behind parent. Okay. It just, it breaks my heart that you went through this. My sister went through something kind of similar. Her kid Mm -hmm. was not taken out of the country, but was taken out of state, Mm -hmm. which proved to be 
almost as difficult. She never saw her child again before she died. Mm, and sorry to hear that. It, it breaks my heart for her because I saw what it did to her. Not everybody can keep trucking, keep fighting, keep doing positive things. Some people get overwhelmed with it and they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to whatever to give them a moment's peace of trying to forget that they don't have their kid. Right. And don't get me wrong. Uh, I drank all my, my entire life. And actually, even after uh, the, the abduction and the alienation, I uh, was drinking even heavier. Basically, it was a way of self-medicating myself to numb my feelings out. And actually, by doing that, it actually didn't numb me out. It actually intensified those feelings. And when I did sober up and the hangover was gone, the problem was still there. Right. You know, and I still had to face that. With now a myself, headache. I don't <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now myself, I don't drink anymore. I feel so much better. I think more clearly. I have mm -hmm. better control of my uh, emotions, things like that. So I never recommend a person to medic self medicate on drugs or alcohol in this. Find other uh, ways, uh, avenues to explore, such as go to the gym, go on a holiday vacation or get up to the mountains for the weekend or go to a movie or dinner with friends once a week, whatever, you know, but the other thing is don't self-isolate yourself because then it allows your mind to kick into overdrive and you're consuming and overwhelming yourself to the point that you've got to give yourself a break from it. Yeah. And they say an idle mind is the devil's playground. It is. It is. And trust me, my mind never stopped working overtime uh, for a day until uh, I quit drinking. Because, like I say, when you are self-medicating, it intensifies your emotions and your thoughts and everything like that. So I even uh, found it difficult to sleep uh, through an entire night. Now I sleep like a baby. Yeah. Did you ever hear anything about your stepson? Like when your daughter came back, did she say he's fine or anything about him? Very little, very little, you know, because uh, like you say, she's very closed-mouthed about her relationship with uh, her brother and her mom, mm -hmm. about where they were living, things like that. She she basically compartmentalized this whole situation into a different part of her psyche, and uh, she's not willing to let anyone in there at this time. And when that happens, you have to wait until they're ready. You can't push them. Right. You know, but as far as my stepson, no, um, she uh, won't doesn't talk about him much, uh, especially if it concerns me. Uh, she just basically says she really doesn't want a whole lot to do with you at this time, and then drops it. Yeah, you know, and he and I used to be super tight together before the abduction. So he's what twenty six now. He'd be about twenty two, I think. Oh. <laughs> Have you ever tried to find him on social media? Yeah, actually, I have uh, tried to find him. And uh, no, I I don't uh, know if he's on there or not. I know that uh, from what little bit of information I got from my daughter, the, the mother monitors their internet uh, and even their phone uh, usage. At their know, age? And, yeah. 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 You have to understand about an alienator. Um 
and that especially if they have this underlying mental health issue, they have, you know, a couple of different things in common. Number one, it's all about the money. Mm-hmm. They don't care where it comes from. They want the money. It can come from screwing people out of their money uh, or uh, stores out of their money. It can come from the government. It can, and their favorite way is to get it from their former spouse because they get to have that feeling of, I put it to them again. I put mm-hmm. the screws to them, you know. And um, But the other thing is that you have to look at is that they have this insane desire for revenge over a broken relationship. And, you know, because they feel a sense of failure. They don't want to look like a failure in front of their family and friends and stuff that, oh, I couldn't keep my man or I couldn't keep my woman and things like this. So they're going to go ahead and they're going to impose upon uh, their friends and family and coworkers, whoever, all these lies and things like that about their target of hatred. Now, the other thing that I was trying to get to is it's a matter of control. And um, when an alienator goes through a failed uh, relationship or marriage or whatever, now when they're together, they have control over the person they're with physically and every aspect of their life. But when their divorce comes and they're no longer uh, together, They've lost most of that control and they're desperate to regain at least some semblance of the control over that person. In this case here, it happens to be three things, mental mm-hmm. control, emotional control, and financial control. And they're going to do whatever it takes to achieve that. Unfortunately for our children, it does involve the children. They'll use them, they'll weaponize them, use them against us because they know that the absent and targeted parent they love their children so much they'll do anything for them and to be in their life. Mm-hmm. And the uh, alienator capitalized upon this love. Yeah. How, well, I kind of know the answer to this because I'm sitting here thinking, how did you even get up in the morning? With a beer in my hand. Yeah. Well, as soon as you woke up, reality slaps you in the face again. This is true. This is true. But, you know, my thought was, I mean, yes, was I crying in my beer every day? Yeah, I was. But a lot of my focus was also my children. Is it, what is this doing to them that all of a sudden, you know, we're uh, going from living in the same household, seeing each other every single day and talking to each other, doing things together. And all of a sudden they're in another country and they're at, and, uh, their other parent is absent from their life. Right. And you have no idea what's going on with them. No, exactly. So my focus was on the children. How are they doing? Uh, what are they thinking? Do they still think about me? Do they love me? Right. And, you know, I mean, like any parent going through this kind of stuff, there was about a hundred different emotions that were running through me all at the same time, you know, and I couldn't, uh, get one to leave me alone so that I could deal with the other. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all tangled in together in one, well, bundle of yarn. Yeah. You know, I, I remember for about the first two weeks after my children, uh, and I'm going to give you kind of an idea of some of the emotions, but uh, for about the first two weeks after my children were abducted, I remember I used to walk my neighborhood, uh, you know, every single day. 
you know, for a couple of hours and I'd go up and down each uh, block in the area and I'd peer over fences. I went down alleyways and everything like that because in my mind, uh, I was trying to fool myself thinking, oh, the kids are just playing a game of hide and go seek. And when I least expect it, they're going to come out, uh, jump out of uh, bushes and laugh and say, hey, we fooled you. We, we, you couldn't find us. Yeah. And after about two weeks, I real the realization really did hit home, and I realized they were gone and probably wouldn't be coming back. But this is what uh, parents go through. Uh, you know, they can't believe that it's happening, and they hope and they pray that it's going to uh, all of a sudden resolve itself, and it's not. Um, that's kind of like with your sister. You know, uh, her children were abducted, even though not international. Right. She had the resources and the options uh, in, in front of her that, you know, even though I mentioned about my children being internationally, that video I just mentioned to you that I made, it doesn't apply to just internationally abducted children. It doesn't matter if your children were abducted parentally across town, across state lines, or, or in my case, internationally. It applies to all of them, and it gives you the resources of uh, who you need to contact. It tells you what to do uh, from documenting everything about your child and your uh, spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse or whatever in order to protect yourself. Because if the, if you call up the cops and say, hey, you know what, my, uh, my former spouse just abducted my kids, and they ask you, well, where are they? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, well, can you give us some information on it? Well, yeah, uh, my daughter is uh, nine years old, uh, got brown hair, and I don't know how much she weighs. I don't know her exact height. But if you can keep track of these things as far as their full name, if you have a Social Security number, that even helps too. Um, But if you have, uh, if you keep record of their hair color, their eye color, their height, their weight, all this stuff, their birth date, that helps law enforcement. But the other thing is that It's important to keep track of, um, you know, if you can get them, that is, all of your uh, uh, spouse or ex-spouse's contacts for friends, for families, for co-workers, whatever. That way there, when the time comes, if it happens uh, in your case, when they say, well, do you you have a, a direction of where we can go? You can pull this stuff out and hand it to them. And say, yeah, here's all the information you need. Get running with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad that you are doing positive things through this. And I know a lot of people that have been able to channel that hurt and things like that to try to help other people that have gone through this or are going through this. This is true. Uh, Most of your... Uh, activists that uh, are out there because you're either an activist or you're an advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, an activist, we're the ones who have actually, we have a passion for the cause because we've actually lived uh, through this scenario. An advocate has passion for the cause because they believe in it, but actually haven't uh, done it. Now, most of these activists uh, that are involved because they have lived it, they know the pain, they know the turmoil, they know the torment and the uh, torture that goes on and they're trying to help other parents so they're listening to their horror stories after about three or four years of this they can't handle it anymore most times and they wind up dropping out 
and hope that others uh, can pick up and replace them. Right. Very few of the activists in this situation actually last more than three or four years. Yeah. It's kind of like what we do. Mm-hmm. We went through a very, very, very difficult time, and we decided to take our struggles and turn them into blessings to help other people. Right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the old saying, if life deals your lemons, make lemonade. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That is right. Um, Fortunately, that's what uh, you uh, are doing. That's what others are doing. And and God bless all of you for the work that you're doing. And you too. And you too. Did she just up and leave one day and you didn't know where she went? Yep. That's exactly what happened. But here I should have uh, read the warning signs, but I brushed it off as something else uh, because the previous, for the previous month, she was down in our basement in a closet where we kept a lot of our stored items, uh, paperwork included. And she was going through uh, the file boxes and everything like that, uh, getting rid of files. And it's like, great, you know, like everybody, we tend to overclutter ourselves with things that we don't need anymore, especially junk mail or old bills that we'll never need. Right. And so I'm thinking she's just doing the uncluttering stage. Right. Like spring cleaning. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't what she was doing. She was getting ready. She was getting ready to leave, and she was uh, removing things that I wouldn't have access to. But at the same time, she was uh, keeping things out that she knew that she would need to take with her. Right. So how did you find out where she went? Well, um, it was kind of funny. Well, not funny. But what had happened on that day there, I was uh, working downstairs because I was working from home. And uh, she told me that she was taking the day off and we weren't talking because she was going through her moments where her mood swings and anger and all that. But she says that she was taking the day off from her job and it it was summer vacation. She was going to take the kids over to a friend's house. And uh, it's like, okay. So I went back to working and stuff. And um, she'd returned home, I think, around 11 or so uh, that morning. And she only had my daughter, but not my son, my stepson. And um, we didn't speak because, like I say, we we were in the midst of arguing. Mm -hmm. And she was only there for maybe less than five minutes and was gone again. Well, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call and they asked if my wife was home. And I says, no, but hang on a second. I looked out the back door. The vehicle was there. I said, well, she's not here. She must be out uh, with the kids uh, out for a walk or something. And she, uh, her friend had said, no, uh, there's something you should know. And I said, what's that? She says, she's at the airport with the children. and She's getting ready to leave back uh, to, her, uh, to this other country. And I'm like, huh? And uh, I looked around and nothing really seemed out of place, but apparently she must have been squirreling everything away secretly over this previous month. Mm-hmm. That was the first moment I found out they were gone. So I call up the uh, sheriff's department. I said, get over here. We've got a situation. And they get to my house and two sheriff's deputies uh, say, what's happening? I said, my uh, wife just abducted my daughter and stepson. And taking him over, and is about to get on a plane to take him overseas. You've got to get over there to the airport and find him and stop him. Right. 
okay, this is how uneducated law enforcement is regarding these types of situations. They told me, they says, even if we were lucky enough to find him at the airport, and Denver International is pretty big. Yeah. They yeah. said, even if we were to get lucky and find him at the airport, there's nothing we could do. And I said, why is that? And they said, well, uh, they could. Uh, the mother could say, well, you know what? I'm taking my kids on vacation and you can't stop me. I have a constitutional right. And yeah. the police, yeah. after they told me that, they says, you know what? She's right. She does have the right to take him on vacation if, if she chooses. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Needless to say, they got on the plane unhindered and took off. A couple right. months later, I found out these cops didn't know their head from their butt. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were no court orders uh, for filing of separation or divorce. There were no custody paperwork. There were no orders allowing her to remove the children from the jurisdiction of where we were at. She was in violation. Basically, at that point, that's when uh, charges could have been filed. When I learned that at that uh, specific moment of international parental kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I say same thing with your sister's kids. I don't, the fact that they didn't uh, get the internationally doesn't mean nothing. She still took the children to another jurisdiction. Uh, I mean, the, the spouse took the children right. to another jurisdiction. Therefore, that is not international parental kidnapping, but it is parental kidnapping charges anyway, which can result in a one to three year prison term if found guilty. But was it really parental kidnapping because they weren't divorced? So at the time they both had custody because there was no court paper stating otherwise. That's the same thing in my case. Absent of any court orders, you still have under the law, and it doesn't matter what state you're in, you still have equal 50-50 uh, rights to the children. So, yes, it is parental kidnapping. Unless it's court-ordered otherwise. Exactly. And they have, even if uh, the other parent does get uh, custody of the children, they still got to go to the court and get uh, an order uh, that says, hey, I'm moving. I want to take the children with. It has to be up to the court to decide if that's uh, something they're willing to allow. Right. So, yeah, it's it's crazy uh, to think that uh, you can go ahead and uh, kidnap your children. And what's funny, I remember when I uh, was contemplating uh, the possibility, if I couldn't uh, find another way, which was uh, through the Hague, if I could uh, go ahead and press charges. I because I told the cops, I said, look, my kids are missing. You kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And you know what the, the cop told me uh, on a later uh, interaction with them? What? Well, this is after they got, uh, we're out of the country. They says, do you know where the kids are? And I said, yes, I do. You know what the dumbass said? What? Then the kids aren't missing, are they? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, they're not with me. They're not in my home. They're not even in my state or country. And you're saying they're not missing, huh? Yeah. You know, that's why law enforcement needs to be educated on these matters. Yeah, definitely, because they just say stupid crap. Yeah. I mean, they're used to arresting people for robbing a liquor store or a bank or or uh, beating someone up. They 
aren't educated uh, in the areas of family law. I mean, they're educated in domestic violence, obviously, uh, but they're not educated in family law when it comes to parental abduction. No, because they automatically say, oh, that needs to go to family court. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, uh, I just don't get it. It just, it infuriates me because not only did you go through this, and you will continue to go through this. I still do. I've got court coming up uh, over there uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Yep. You remember how I told you that um, after modification hearing of 2011? Yeah. And I was awarded sole custody? Right. Well, we know that uh, anytime custody is issued, there's going to be uh, child support issues involved. Well, there was a modification on that, and I told you how the mother was ordered to pay me child support, uh, even though she was still illegally retaining the children. Right. Then the judge told said that she didn't have to pay child support. Right. Well, here's the deal. When, uh, when I made arrangements for my daughter to come back at the age of 17, this torched her off pretty good. So she's got me going through court. Because she's trying to get me for back child support going back to 2011. Wow. Remember I told you they, yeah. they're, well, that's one of their things. It's uh, the revenge, control, and money. Yep. Wow. So it's like a never-ending vicious cycle. It's like, Jesus, this has uh, been going on for 15 years. Let it go. Move on with your life. Forget about me. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just stop. Yeah, exactly. You know, and um, if I could, I and I could find a way to, to have her put in uh, prison now, you betcha I would. And people would say, you know what, that's uh, an act of revenge and that's not right. Well, no, it's not an act of revenge. It's a, it's a way of stopping someone from continuing to hurt you. It's justice. Exactly. Right. And if they would prosecute, more alienators, it would send a message to the ones out there like, you might not want to do this. You might go to jail. Well, exactly. And I don't understand that. I mean, because you've got Brazil out there, you've got Mexico, and I believe Spain, and there's one or two other countries that have outlawed uh, parental alienation, and they will stick your butt in jail. But here in the United States, by golly, uh, they don't want to do that uh, because it's a $60 billion a year industry. And if people quit doing these things, it's going to start taking away, denying these people who have their hands out for money. It's going to deny them that opportunity. So they're not going to change that. In the meantime, even our local state governments and county governments, they're profiting off the suffering in the backs of uh, these suffering parents and children. Right. You know, through Title IV defunding. Yeah. And why does Title IV defunding? Title four D funding came out in the mid seventies. Uh, basically, it was a way, and I've got a video on that as well. Basically, uh, it is a way to help uh, collect uh, child support for the uh, custodial parent, but also eliminate some of the financial strains on the state and local governments. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the kicker. For every dollar that's collected for that custodial parent, the mm-hmm. state, from our Social Security earnings that's supposed to protect us in old age, <laughs> they get 2 to $3 for every dollar that's collected. What? Yep. 
Now, here's a kicker on that. You've got a man and a woman that are going through divorce and child custody case. They're each fighting for custody of the children. One can afford to pay $500 a month. The other one can pay 1000 a month. Who do you think uh, got a better chance of getting the kids? Yeah. You know, because if they rule in favor of the parent who can afford to pay the most amount of money, as opposed to the one who can only afford 500 um, now the state's going to only pick up maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a month uh, from our Social Security. If they rule in favor of the person who can pay the least amount, and the other parent can pay a thousand, now instead of that thousand to fifteen hundred, now the state's going to collect two to three thousand dollars. See, this crap's shadier than I ever knew. Right, and a friend of mine was telling me in New York, and I don't know how true it is with all the other states, but. For a parent who can't afford to pay child support, they we know they could go to jail, they could lose their driver's license, they could lose their passport, all this other stuff, right? But if they go to jail and there's uncollected child support, now this is, as I'm told, the state actually will collect seven times that amount. So instead of two or three dollars per one, it's now seven dollars for every dollar that's not collected. Wow. So it's in the state's in best interest to go ahead and keep these people incarcerated and not working. Right. They make money. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew the money was there between the judges and the attorneys and the guardian ad litems and the mediators and all that stuff. But, yeah, I'm going to have to well, look into this Title 4D funding because they're taking my money. I hear you. <laughs> and if you look at one of my videos, it uh, talks about, um, the greed of parental alienation, and it does talk about that. And it also talks about the judges because these judges earn between $142,000 to $191,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. Good cash for a 95 job Monday through Friday. Right. Which I had that. But on top of that, and you being in Texas, right? No, I'm in South Carolina. Oh, you're in South Carolina. I'm sorry. That's okay. I don't know why I had you in uh, Texas in mind. <laughs> Down here in Texas, you know, and um, I don't know uh, if it's for every state or just most of them, but they get an incentive bonus. Oh. Down here in Texas, they get uh, upwards of $25,000 a year on top of their uh, base salary. Wow. Exactly. So they don't want to let go of that uh, free money for them. Uh, they're making too good of money. They've got the procedure comes with from being a judge. They're making their salary. They're getting these incentives. They exert a certain amount of control over people who can't stand up for themselves for fear that they're going to be put in jail for contempt. Right. Now, they're not about to give that up. And they're also going to keep do everything to keep their ju jobs. So the, even though that a judge is supposed to be elected in there, sometimes they're appointed by certain powers within the court system. Mm -hmm. Right. So. They want to keep them happy. And the way to keep them happy is to keep the co uh, financial coffers filled. Mm -hmm. That means uh, they got to keep the money flowing in through this Title 40 funding by ruling against uh, certain parents. Right. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, not all judges are like that. There's some good ones out there. Yes. Wrong there. Fact is, that last one I had here in Colorado, she understood the situation and she ruled in my favor because she knew the mother uh, wasn't going to comply with any orders of court and it was going to hurt the children uh, in the long run. Mm -hmm. But by then, outside of signing an order of modification, there was nothing that she could do by that point. Uh, 
you know, so there are some good judges out there, but there's some that are just downright scoundrels who have no place on the bench uh, making rulings and decisions that are going to affect uh, other uh, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's sad that it happens and it's allowed to happen. I know I've got a cousin that her kids went to go stay with their dad over Christmas for like two weeks. He wouldn't send them back. I forget exactly how long, but I mean, he kept them several months and it cost her over a hundred grand in attorney's fees to get her kids back. And guess what they did to her ex-husband? Slap on the wrist. Yep. That's believable. Yeah. We won't even say a slap on the wrist. We'll say a pat on the hand. (laughs) I hear you. And the thing is that, um, you know, she could have called uh, if he was ordered to bring the children back at that during a certain time. She could have, again, uh, went to law enforcement and had charges filed for intentional um, uh, interference of parental responsibilities. Right. But even filing an emergency order, it takes time. And especially, again, across states, and it costs a fortune. And sometimes it boils down to who's got the most money in their pocket. This is true. This is true. But in this case here, for interference of parental responsibilities, that doesn't have to go through the courts. You just go to local law enforcement, show them a certified copy of your court order and say, this uh, person here isn't bringing my kids back as ordered by the courts. I want them arrested. I want to go get my kids. Yeah. But now I don't know about other states, but I know the state that I'm in, South Carolina, if I did that, Say my ex kept my son and I took my court order and called the police and said, look, he's not giving me my kid back. I've got full custody. He has visitation every other weekend. He's, you know, will not return my kid. They will tell me to go file with the family court. And that's when you have to be demanding with these uh, uh, law enforcement people saying, I, I will be doing that, obviously. However, in the meantime, it is your duty and your sworn oath of your position to uh, uphold the law, uphold it now because I am being victimized. I'm being made the victim of a crime. My children are being made a victim of the crime. And that's another thing there too. If you can prove uh, emotional abuse against your former spouse, and in this case here, it might've happened, you know, by illegally retaining them against court orders, it could prove emotional abuse, which in itself is not a crime on the outside, but it, uh, for most states, they incorporate it into domestic uh, abuse, which mm-hmm. is a crime in all states. Yeah. And then you can press charges against the parents for that. Yeah. There needs to be more awareness as far as through the cops being more aware of parental alienation. There right. needs to be more awareness to people that are being alienated to what they can do, which your YouTube channel I'm sure helps with. Right. And I've also got a website uh, called, I was not always race. That's a group channel, a parenting which my YouTube and also my blog uh, website are the same names and stuff. And there's articles in there. There's books, there's reflections, there's podcasts, there's YouTube videos. We're building as we go. We're adding more into it. But yeah, you're right. We have to create more awareness. But here's the other kicker. What you're doing and what other podcasters are doing is 
all too important uh, in create, helping to create the awareness. And the brave parents that come on your shows to share their experiences and what they've gone through. And some uh, podcasts actually uh, focus more on the children and getting the children who are become adults and what they've gone through it, like Ryan Thomas and others like that. Mm-hmm. It's very important to continue that work and uh, writing about it and things like that. But also, we have to get out there and get more public speakers out there doing this. I mean, you've got folks like uh, uh, Craig Childress, Jennifer Harmon, and Amy Baker, and others that are doing it, but it's not enough. We -hmm. have to get more. We have to get in their face. We have to actually, instead of uh, thinking, okay, we've got to get on a a huge stage like TEDx uh, to do this and stuff, and no, those people typically don't make any money when they go on to TEDx. Uh, typically, that's more for uh, the uh, notoriety on that and build up contacts for future speaking. But they need to start focusing in on going to the schools uh, when and talking to the teachers, going to the universities, talking to the students that may have been going through this uh, with their own parents and still alienated from one of them. They need to go ahead and go to attorney uh, conventions they need to go ahead and start going to you know when they uh their state has these gatherings of law enforcement in their state they need to go there and talk to them and educate them about the dangers of and uh, suffering that goes on when uh, these things happen but also uh, with the judges there's got to be a way that we can get in front of them under a symposium or something like that right yeah there's a guy that I spoke to a while back that he even went to the White House to try to get help with whatever it was that his issue was. And he's fighting for changes in the family court system. Well, good luck, because here's yeah. the problem with the family courts. These judges are human. Yeah. Okay. And because of that, they will bring in their own biases, their own prejudices, their own idiotacy uh, of the way they think and their lack of knowledge in these uh, family court cases. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an example, with the bias, okay, you walk into court, judge takes a look at you. He doesn't like the sound of your voice. He or she doesn't like the sound of your voice. Therefore, the judge is going to rule against you because of this bias. Maybe it doesn't like the color of your hair. or Right. Or your shoes that you're wearing. Maybe they don't like that uh, attorney that you have uh, standing beside you because that attorney's pissed them off in the past. Right. And so even though you've got all the ammunition to get your children back in your life or retain them in your life, that judge has certain bias. But then again, you've got prejudices out there. You might have a white judge that doesn't like black people or Asian uh, people that don't like Uh, the Latinos, um, you don't know. I mean, you can't take that out of uh, the equation, but these judges, and another thing that they need to do is stop this crap like we do in Colorado. Not all states do it, but we can have here in Colorado a judge who will hear a family law case in the morning, and right after lunch, uh, that judge is hearing criminal cases. Uh, You have to be an awful smart individual to know the law on both spectrums. Right. Family and criminal. They need to separate that. 
Yes. And I know some states like California do that, but other states, it depends on your county of where you live, uh, whether or not they do that. As an example, I was just talking to uh, one uh, person uh, just recently on another show, and they says where they live depends on the size of the county. If they, They've got uh, the larger counties that do separate them, but your smaller counties, they've got a limited amount of judges, so they're basically placed in a position where they have they have no choice but to hear both family and criminal law. Right. And that's understandable. But for the most part, no, separate them. But yes. the other thing is that they need to uh, conduct themselves, and we know this ain't happening. They need to conduct themselves like criminal court uh, cases. Yes. Criminal courts in general, I should say. That means that if one of the parents or an attorney makes a statement or an allegation against the other parent, they better be prepared to back it up with hardcore factual evidence. Otherwise, it must be deemed inadmissible. And, um, you know, also that uh, parent can uh, be charged with perjury. Right. Fined, uh, put in jail, or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that I've always uh, uh, thought that would be great, and they tried to do this a few years ago in California, didn't fly. That if one parent uh, so chose, they could petition to have their case heard in front of a jury. Now, obviously, it's not going to be a jury of 12. It'd probably be only six, but it would be heard in front of a jury. So what's happening there is that you're taking sole decision uh, making out of the hands of one judge of a singular judge who may be biased or prejudiced or an idiot, and you're putting it in the hands of six uh, members uh, of the jury who are your peers. And where was this again? Well, they tried to uh, get something like that passed in California a few years back, I think five or six years ago. I talked to somebody one time, I think he was in Arizona, and he was able to have a jury trial in the family court. Amazing. I want to think it was Arizona. Yeah, but my husband and I have... I always said that it needs to be a jury. That way mm-hmm. you've got different types of people. Or it needs to be at least three judges. A panel. Yeah, a panel. Because it's not working. And I know a friend of mine, when she got divorced, she was a good mom. She took care of her kid and all that. Well, her husband at the time was accusing her of having an affair. Well, apparently the judge at the time, was going through a divorce because his wife cheated on him. Guess what? She almost lost custody of her kid. There's where the bias comes in. And how, I know that we can sometimes say things like, they'll ask you if you're going to be on a jury. Can you be unbiased? And everybody thinks they can. I don't think you can. No, uh, for the most part, you can't. I don't know. I mean, uh, People are people. Uh, They're human. They're going to have human emotions. They're going to have human tendencies, whatever. But no, um, I don't think you're ever totally uh, not biased. Well, then another thing, you know, um, a judge can be biased against a gender. uh, Because, well, let's take a, and I'm going to use this as uh, an example. Let's uh, take this uh, male judge. He's running late for court. Uh, he's getting out of his house, getting into his vehicle. The neighbor's dog, who is owned by a woman, 
uh, runs over and pees on his leg. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's going to make the judge even later, or he's got to appear in court with a wet pat leg. Mm-hmm. Who do you think he's going to be uh, rooting for? The man uh, that's uh, trying to get the kids or the woman? Right. Probably going to be uh, biased against the woman because that's who owned that dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so many, so many different variables that it shouldn't be up to that person to make these decisions about your child's life. This is correct. And the little bit they get to know about you supposedly through your attorney in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I would like my case as an example. Like I say, I went through the Hague Convention. It took uh, 16 months and it was a panel of judges on both uh, the actual hearing and the appeal. Mm -hmm. But this judge here, a singular lone judge, and here's kind of a funny thing is that on the first day, it was more of a discovery uh, type hearing where it was, uh, okay, I want to make sure both of you are going to be attending uh, the next hearing. So I want to see you both in my courtroom. And, uh, you know, I let the judge know that, hey, you know, they're currently living in another country. Uh, she had abducted the children. They have passports. Can you ensure, uh, can you take into possession of the courts their passports, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure they do show up? And he, the judge says, yes, we'll do that. Well, at the end of that short 10-minute hearing, uh, the judge got up in the space of that 10 minutes and uh, they uh, dismissed us and started walking out. I said, uh, Judge, and I'm raising my hand. I said, Passports? Oh, yeah, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, uh, you know. So, anyways, uh, we had that 10 minute hearing, and then it was a two hour hearing uh, where uh, the judge heard from us, uh, uh, me, and then heard from the ex wife. Uh, we submitted evidence in there. And it was the Friday of a Father's Day weekend. He didn't bother to look at the evidence because on that following Monday, you know, though I did get to spend eight hours a day for Saturday and Sunday because it was Father's Day and they, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Judge come in and I'm full of confidence that, you know, with all the evidence that I've got from the abduction, the threat to kill herself and the children that made to return the the fact that then I showed emails where she tried to give me for $7,000 in the car or what she was going to do. And right. blase, blase. Uh, I thought, you know what? Good thing I didn't spend my money on an attorney. I could, I was right to go pro se. Yeah. But in that two hours, uh, we know how the judge ruled. He knew more than that uh, panel of judges, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's like, you got to be kidding me. So what you did was you teased me with having eight hours a day on Father's Day weekend just to say, you know what? She gets to keep the kids and I'm letting them go back. Right. You know, so that's why I say you've got to take these things out of a singular judge's hands. Yeah. I know if that would have been me, I just <laughs> I just said, wait a minute. Judge, can I ask you what you're thinking? What are you doing? But you 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 can't do that. <laughs> I'd be asking, what was in the water you drank this morning or what kind of drugs are you on? Yeah, exactly. You know, but nothing you can do because if you'd have said, because he says, do you have any questions uh, at the end of the thing? He says, do you have any questions for me at the conclusion of this hearing? I said, yes, judge. He's no. And like, huh? You just asked me. 
<laughs> right. I can, you know, don't ask me if I've got questions and then you refuse to listen to my questions. Yeah, that's just uh, their protocol, their standard operating procedure. Well, right. You know, and the thing is, they're trying to get through these cases with the most expediency possible. And so one of the things there that I hate is they always use the best interest standards. Now, each state has about 12 or 13 of them per state. They may be worded a little bit differently, but basically they all say the same thing. But uh, they all put in, in the best interest of the children, uh, making this ruling because it's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, no, those words there are nothing more than filler words meant to take up blank spaces on a custody order. Right. Now, if you really feel they're in the best interest standards and it's in the best interest for the children to be with one parent over the other, tell you what, list it out there in that court order. Why is it better? And give me all 12 uh, bullet points. Right. They're not going to do that. They know that by putting out their uh, bullet point by bullet point, why it's better for them, for the children to be with one parent over the other, they know it'll come back to haunt them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They're not stupid. Mm. Well, that's questionable. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a difference between book smart and uh, being stupid. That is true. You know. Well, David, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. We need to bring more awareness to parental alienation, the corruption of the court system, all that stuff. Right. And believe it or not, uh, when you mentioned about the corruption of the courts, and we'll uh, get this off because we've been on here for quite a while. I was just uh, contacted yesterday by someone who I've known for many years. She had actually ran for president uh, a number of years ago, and uh, she's got some things going on now. But she's actually wanting to start up uh, her own podcast or radio show uh, regarding justice, uh, uh, family court reform and justice reform. And uh, was asking uh, once she gets that up and running if I'm going to uh, would be considered uh, one of the people that she could interview. And it's like, yeah, because she's got this. When you get someone like that that has been in the political arena for a number of years, she's got the contacts of the people who can listen in on it. Mm-hmm. You know, because we do need change within the family courts desperately. It's killing people. You know, I don't know how many parents you've known that have actually killed themselves uh, through suicide over this stuff. But Yeah, way too many. Exactly. So at any rate, I know you've got to get going. And it was a pleasure to be invited onto your show. And uh, hopefully we can do it again. Yes, that would be great. Thank you again for sharing your story and for doing what you're doing to help others that are going through this. You're very welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with David Schubert, and we thank David for sharing his story with us and also for writing his book so others can learn about parental alienation. We would also like to mention that we still have the Nacho Kids Academy where you can learn to nacho properly. Check it out at nachokidsacademy.com. If you have any questions, you can email me at lori, that's L-O-R-I, at nachokids.com. Join us next week. And remember, life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.